You are called to be an eagle. You are called to soar, to do great things. But in life, we will all have some crows crowing at us, some chickens pecking at us, some hawks trying to fight with us, trying to bait us into conflict. No, don't get drawn into those battles. You have an advantage. You're an eagle. You can fly at heights that no other birds can fly. Eagles have been spotted as high as 20,000 feet in the air. Now, I read where a crow is known to try to pester the eagle. Even though the eagle is much larger, the crow is much more agile. It can turn and maneuver a lot quicker. And at times, the crow will come behind the eagle and just follow it, trying to pester it, annoy it, aggravate it. But the eagle knows this secret. It can fly at altitudes that the crow cannot fly. And so instead of getting all upset and trying to pay that crow back, the eagle simply rises higher and higher and higher, and eventually the crow falls off. So when someone is pestering you, when they're being jealous, when they're trying to make you look bad, don't be a crow. Get in there and fight with them, trying to pay them back. No, you're an eagle. Rise above it. Don't let it bother you. Don't respond to every criticism. Don't waste your valuable energy fighting battles that are not necessary. All you've got to do is come up higher. And the crows and the chickens and the turkeys, they can't soar where you're able to soar. I'm asking you today to ignore some things. Some of you have gotten all worked up over something insignificant. You're allowing small-minded people to steal your joy and keep you from what's really important. Get your focus back. Well, you say, Joe, if he would quit talking about me, then I wouldn't be so stressed out. Now, let me give you a newsflash. If he quits talking, somebody else will start talking. Somebody's always talking about us. We just may not realize it. Don't let it bother you. After all, God hears what they're saying. And if you'll stay in faith, God will make it up to you. You know, there's been so many times in my life where I felt unworthy or unqualified, but God would just do something so cool in the midst of it. And one of those times was when I was a junior at the University of Florida and we we're getting ready to play Tennessee and I see some of my teammates putting different eye blacks under their eyes and uh, they're putting like their mom's name or their area code under their eyes and so I start to think, you know, I wonder if I could put something under my eyes that maybe could encourage someone or inspire someone. So I was like, well, God bless, I don't know. And I was like, well, Philippians 4.13, I could do that. You know, I can do all things through Christ's strength as me. I was like, that'll be, that'll be good for a football player. So I put it under my eyes. We were blessed to win because it was Tennessee. And um, it really wasn't that big of a deal. After the game, a couple of local newspapers wrote about it. But it wasn't that big of a deal. But I kept wearing it under my eyes every single game. And as probably a lot of you know, Gator fans are very passionate. So four, five, six weeks later, they're selling it at the Gator bookstore, at the Florida library. <laughs> you have thousands of fans showing up to games wearing Philippians 4.13 under their eyes. And I honestly believe half of them don't even know what it means. I had one guy, his name was Phil, come up to me and say, Hey, did you wear that under your eyes for me? It's <laughs> like, no, it's a Bible verse. <laughs> what are you talking about? And um, so we get to the SEC championship game at the end of the year, and we're getting ready to run out of the tunnel. And football is kind of one of those things where it's, you have such tunnel vision. It's just one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And... As I was getting ready to run out of the tunnel, I really felt like God was putting in my heart to change the verse. I was like, really, right now? And But I realized that if we won, we'd be playing a national championship on one of the biggest stages that I might ever get. And so that would be the right opportunity to change the verse. And 
So we were blessed to win that game. In six weeks, the next six weeks leading up to the national championship, I was agonizing and really contemplating what verse I was going to go with. And God kept bringing it to my heart and my head, John 3.16, because it's the essence of our Christianity. It's the essence of our hope. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's what gives us hope as Christians. So I decided to go with that. And so two days before the, the game, I went up to my parents' hotel room in Miami, Florida, and I was like, Mom, Dad, I've decided to change the verse, and we're going to go with John 3.16. My mom's super sweet and supportive. Oh, that's great, honey. My dad's like, well, have you told Coach Meyer? Because <laughs> he says he just likes his routines, but that dude is so superstitious, it's ridiculous. So he's like, you really need to tell him. So we were right down the street at FAU practicing. We finished our last practice for a national championship. I said, hey, Coach Meyer, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, how you feeling? Your arm good, leg good, you ready for the game? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, you know the verse I wear in my eyes? He's like, yeah, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. I love it. I was like, well, I'm going to change that verse tomorrow night. What? What are you talking about? You can't change that verse. That verse got us here. Uh, it didn't get us here. So after a couple minutes of explaining it to him, he totally was supportive and understood him. Honestly, after that, I didn't even really think about it. I just went out there and tried to win the championship game. We were blessed to win. And two days later, I was at Ballyhoo Restaurant in Gainesville, Florida with me, my mom, my dad, my aunt, and um, Coach Meyer. And Coach Meyer gets a call. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, bye. And I was like, who was that? He said, that was Steve McLean. Here's our PR guy at Florida. I said, what do you have to say? He said, did you know that during that game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16? And honestly, my first thought was, how the heck do 94 million people not know John 3.16? <laughs> Hashtag Sunday school. It's like the first thing you hear, you know? But I was just sitting in Ballyhoo Restaurant, just so humbled at how big the God is that we serve and how he wants to do amazing things in us and through us. And when we just step out and show a little faith or a little courage or... We just decide, hey, it's okay to be a little bit different than everybody else, what God can do in our lives. And that game just happened to be in 2009, January 8th. Well, exactly three years later, January 8th, 2012, we just happened to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I never even thought about John 3.16 one time, so I can't take any credit for it. I just tried to go out there and win a playoff game, and we were blessed to win this crazy playoff game in overtime. And... I run in and try to, you know, shower really quick and change because I wanted to go celebrate with my family. So I'm go running to go and do my press conference really quick. And uh, right before I walk into the press conference room, Patrick, our PR guy, jumps in front of me. He says, Timmy, do you realize what happened? I was like, yeah, we just beat the Steelers. We're going to play the Patriots. Like, let me do this. He's like, no, do you realize what happened? I was like, I guess not. He said, Timmy. It's exactly three, three, not three years from the night you wore John 3.16 under your eyes. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he was like, no, you don't realize. During the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per completion were 31.6. Your yards per rush were 3.16. The ratings for the night were 31.6, and the time of possession was 31.06. And during the game, 90 million people Google John 3.16, and it's the number one trending thing on every platform. I was just standing there in that hallway getting ready to do this press conference thinking that that night was about a football game. And it really wasn't because the God that we serve is such a big God. And standing in that hallway, I knew that it was something so much more. 
because the God that we serve is a God of miracles, as we're going to hear today, and it's a God that does pretty amazing things in us and through us, and I think we just have to be willing to step out and say, here you go, God, I'm going to give you my fish and, and my loaves of bread, and watch what he does with it, but the God we serve can be pretty awesome amazing. Number one, put God first. Put God first in everything you do. Everything that you think you see in me, everything that I've accomplished, everything that you think I have, and I have a few things. Everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift. 40 years ago, March 27, 1975, it was 40 years ago, uh, just this past March, I was flunking out of college. I had a 1.7 grade point average. I hope none of you can relate. <laughs> I had a 1.7 grade point average. I was sitting in my mother's beauty shop. They still call it beauty shop now? What do they call it? Yeah, I was sitting in the beauty parlor. I was sitting in my mother's beauty parlor and I'm looking in the mirror and I see behind me this woman under the dryer and every time she looked up, she, every time I looked up, she was looking at me, just looking me in the eye. I didn't know who she was, and I said, you know, she said, somebody give me a pen, give me a pencil, I have a prophecy. March 27, 1975, she said, boy, you are going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Now, mind you, I flunked out of college. I'm thinking about joining the army. I didn't know what I was going to do, and she's telling me I'm going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Well, I have traveled the world, and I have spoke to millions of people. But that's not the most important thing, the success that I had. The most important thing is that what she taught me and what she told me that day has stayed with me since. I've been protected. I've been directed. I've been corrected. I've kept God in my life and has kept me humble. I didn't always stick with him, but he always stuck with me. So stick with him in everything you do. If you think you want to do what you think I've done, then do what I've done and stick with God. Number two, fail big. That's right. Fail big. Today's the beginning of the rest of your life and it can be, it can be very frightening. It's a new world out there. It's a mean world out there and you only live once. So do what you feel passionate about, passionate about. Take chances professionally. Don't be afraid to fail. There's an old IQ test was nine dots and you had to draw five lines with a pencil within these nine dots without lifting the pencil. The only way to do it was to go outside the box. So don't be afraid to go outside the box. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to fail big, to dream big, but remember, Dreams without goals are just dreams and they ultimately fuel disappointment. So have dreams, but have goals, life goals, yearly goals, monthly goals, daily goals. I try to give myself a goal every day. Sometimes just to not curse somebody out. <laughs> Simple goals, but have goals. 
and understand that to achieve these goals you must apply discipline and consistency in order to achieve your goals you must apply discipline which you have already done and consistency every day not just on Tuesday and miss a few days you have to work at it every day you have to plan every day you've heard the saying we don't plan to fail we fail to plan hard work works working really hard is what successful people do and in this text tweet twerk world that you've grown up in <laughs> remember just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot more done remember that just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot more done don't confuse movement with progress my mother told me she said yeah because you can run in place all the time and never get anywhere so continue to strive continue to have goals continue to progress number three you'll never see a u-haul behind a hearse I'll say it again. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. I don't care how much money you make, you can't take it with you. And it's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. We all have different talents. Some of you will be doctors, some lawyers, some scientists, some educators, some nurses, some teachers. Yeah, okay. <laughs> some preachers. The most selfish thing you can do in this world is help someone else. Why is it selfish? Because the gratification, the goodness that comes to you, the good feeling, the good feeling that I get from helping others, nothing's better than that. Not jewelry, not big house I have, not the cars, but the, the, it's the joy. That's where the joy is in helping others. That's where the success is. Finally, I pray that you put your slippers way under the bed tonight so that when you wake up in the morning you have to get on your knees to reach them and while, you, when, while you're down there say thank you for grace thank you for mercy thank you for understanding thank you for wisdom thank you for parents Thank you for love. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for humility. Thank you for peace. Thank you for prosperity. Say thank you in advance for what's already yours. That's how I live my life. That's where I, why I am, one of the reasons why I am today. Say thank you in advance for what is already yours. True desire in the heart for anything good is God's proof to you sent beforehand to indicate that it's yours already. I'll say it again. True desire in the heart, that itch that you have, whatever it is you want to do, that thing that you want to do to help others and to, to grow and to make money, that desire, that itch, that's God's proof to you 
sent beforehand already to indicate that is yours and anything you want good you can have so claim it work hard to get it when you get it reach back pull someone else up each one teach one don't just aspire to make a living aspire to make a difference I came from a third generation welfare recipient family my family had never made a mark and I've searched back 500 years I had uh, four fathers and two mothers most of my relatives had free board and lodgings with King George VI that meant they were in jail I've uh, never gone through formal schooling. I've never had the disadvantage of going to university. <laughs> At 26 years of age, I was an illiterate bricklayer and stonemason. I had great problems in articulation, great problems in comprehension. I went to school as a normal child goes to school, but I went very late. I was much older than the other children. I had come out of hospital after suffering the debilitating disease called diphtheria. And I was skinny and weak. And they tried to do some educational assessment on me. And they said, this kid, he's just one brick short of a load. He's not playing with a full deck. His elevator doesn't go to the top floor. And they were going to put me with a group of brain-damaged children called an opportunity class. Until along came a teacher called Miss Phillips. She would make the Rock of Gibraltar look like a marshmallow. Uh, I, she, I've often thought in retrospect that she could kickstart a jumbo jet. <laughs> with her left leg. And a shoe off. She would make the Rock of Gibraltar look like a marshmallow. And... Uh, she said, he's not brain damaged, he's just plain stupid. <laughs> and for three years she punched me, she kicked me, she slapped me, she didn't get any sense into me or out of me. She used to get me by the chin and rattle my teeth and say, Peter Daniels, you're a bad, bad boy and you're never going to amount to anything. And that became a self-fulfilling prophecy. At 26 years of age, I was a bricklayer, stonemason, hopelessly in debt. But on May the 25th, 1959, I went along to a Billy Graham crusade in Adelaide, South Australia, where we live. And when I heard the gospel in clear terms for the first time, I suddenly realized I was equal with all men before God, and I reasoned that if I was equal with all men before God, I no need to accept any quality with anyone. I was a son of a king. And I wish you could know the difference that that makes. Well, I suddenly didn't become intellectually brilliant, but I knew that I knew that I knew that something had happened. And someone took hold of the book of Joel and read these words, I will restore unto you the years the locust has eaten. And I wanted that restoration, but what if you come from the other side of the tracks? What if nobody is interested in you and then God gives you two dreams so big you can hardly comprehend it? How do you handle it? Well, I wrote it on the back of a cereal package. Everything I had to have done by my 85th birthday before I moved 
in the second gear. One of the dreams was to see how much money one human being could give away in their lifetime. Now I'm not talking about being ordinarily poor. We had to reach up to touch bottom. How do you handle that? Well, I found the best helping hand you can get is the one at the end of your own arm. And I went down and I, I bought three dictionaries. I put one next to my bed. I put one in the toilet. That's a good place to read. And I put one in my excuse for a motor car. Now, I need to tell you about this motor car. This was a 1937 Ford V8 Clubman sedan that had been rolled three times. The hood was crushed in, the windows were gone, we'd kept the doors on with wire. It wasn't the cost of the gasoline that bothered me, it was how much oil this confounded thing used. I drove it very carefully, I could get 14 miles to the gallon of oil. I used to purchase second-hand sump oil and keep it in the trunk with a plug spanner and, and uh, if anyone showed any disrespect for my motor car, I would stop it in the middle of the traffic. I'd let a bank up. They would swear at me, they would shake their fists, they'd hit their horns, I'd just sit there. You can't move me. When it was all backed up, I'd put my foot on the clutch and slap it on the accelerator and I would baptize them in oil. I kept pointing to words in dictionaries and getting people to tell me what they meant and then I checked with two or three other people to make sure the first one told me the truth. You've seen Crocodiles Dundee, Australia's a great kidders. Wherever I go around the world, people say, what are Australians like? Well, we're a very balanced people. We have a chip on each shoulder. <laughs> well, I started pointing to words in dictionaries and getting people to correct me. Then I'd check with two or three other people to make sure the first one told me the truth. I went through those dictionaries frontwards and then backwards until I understood every single word. Then I read 2,000 biographies. I haven't got polygrip, I said 2,000. Then I studied law, accountancy, philosophy, theology, modern ancient history, politics and economics. I found the mind was like a muscle and it could be developed. And then I went into business. Lost everything. I want to tell you, that'll clear your sinuses. <laughs> I paid it back and went into business again. Lost it again. I mean, you learn nothing new from the second kick from a horse. I paid it back. I was going in the business third time. My wife said to me, Peter, just get a job. <laughs> just get an ordinary job. Be a garbage collector, anything. Just get a job. Just have some regular money coming in. She said, uh, Peter, winter's coming. Peter Jr. needs shoes for school and, and Graham needs a sweater and I'm pregnant again. And you've spent all this money on books. I can't see anything happening. You take three steps forward and four steps backwards. She said, I can't see anything happening. On our 33rd wedding anniversary, I bought a beautiful necklace. I mean, it was 49 carat opal with 33 diamonds on This thing's so big, when she walks, she has to walk like this. <laughs> I said, you haven't complained about the books and tapes I bought lately. But I, I, went, I paid it back the second time, went into business the third time and lost it again. What do you do when your dreams start to fade? You reach for one more dream. We should never give up, let up, or shut up until God takes us up. Well, I went into business a third time and lost it again. 
paid it back, and when it was the fourth time, it built one of the largest real estate corporations of its kind in our nation with offices in Singapore and Hong Kong. We sold those out many years ago. Today, our business interests spread almost around the entire world. We're very unusual in business. We have no overdrafts, no loans, no mortgages anywhere in the world. We've never been sued. We've never sued anyone. Um, we are the only corporation on the face of the earth that has its own private currency. We're the only family in the world that has its own private bullion bank called Anglo Far East Bullion Company. Now, my mind works a little bit different because I've never ever gone through formal schooling according to psychologists and, and others. They say you have a very different mind. You can read eight books at a time. Uh, and uh, would you believe a Texan paid me one million dollars for 15 minutes advice? You made 120 million. You're not that smart. It really only took 10 minutes, but I say 15 minutes because it sounds better. An Australian company paid me a million dollars for advice. About eight years ago, we did two films on economics. We contested it against 1,600 other major corporations in the world at the Video and Film Festival in Chicago, including General Motors, Ford, Mercedes-Benz, Boeing. We won. We won the gold for directorship and the silver for content, and it was on biblical economics. It took us to the top 10% of advisors in the entire world on economics. Now, I'm your wake-up call. I'm not coming back. I come once. Tomorrow night I'm going to show you how to go into business and win every single time. I'm tired of Christians being broke. You stay in a job. You know what job stands for? Just over broke. It's time for you to take back the economics. It's time for you to stop being in employment fodder suffocating in the amorphous glob of sameness. He answered him saying, fear not. He literally said, stop the fear. Now he wouldn't have said it if he couldn't do it. Don't you ever stand up to Jesus and say, yeah, but I can't help it. <laughs> I told you to keep your big blab mouth shut and do what the man said. Stop the fear. How do I do that? I'll tell you in a minute. Don't leave now. Stop the fear. Believe only. Don't contaminate your faith. And what you said to me back there at that boat, don't contaminate your faith, what you're believing, with fear. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Don't do it. Shut up. Fear not. Believe only. 
man. Look at it. She shall be made whole. Now you can see, you, I mean, you can see where the action line is. You stop the fear and she shall be made whole. You don't, she won't. If he'd have said, oh, yeah, but Lord, she's already dead. Now, why did you let this happen to me? I have served the synagogue. I mean, I spent all them years doing all that stuff, and I don't understand why I can't get some help here. Right in the middle of all of this. I mean, oh, oh, God, oh, woe is me. All of that's fear-based. And in reality, when you take that kind of reaction and you, you... you strip the, the religion and the, and the self-pity and all that off of it and look at it for what it really is, you really actually judged God. You should have done this and you didn't. You let this happen to me. You let the devil do this to me. Oh. Uh, That may be the answer to the question, how dumb can you get? (laughs) Now, I don't care what you're in. If you've been doing that, you repent right now. Don't you even let this message go five more seconds. You repent right now. That is a sin. You have no business judging anybody, much less God. He's given you everything he's got. Let me tell you something. He didn't let it happen to you. You let it happen to you. The devil doesn't have any authority over you that you didn't give him. He's been stripped of everything he had. And you have the name. You have the word. You have the full armor. You've got the Holy Ghost. You've got the power of the Spirit. You've got a whole book full of powerful words of the living God and the right and the authority to speak them. Now don't give any more of that other trash. I'd be nice to you, but I didn't come here to play church with you. There's too many people in deep trouble financially, deep trouble physically, families in deep trouble. And I'm talking guys that are going to be deployed and you're going to be looking down somebody's gun barrel here in a few days and I'm telling you the thing that will either get you killed or keep you alive. I'm telling you when that 91st Psalm gets buried down deep in your guts when it is in there so strong that somebody just look at you. I dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. A thousand can fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand. 11,000 can pile up around me and it ain't gonna touch me. Oh, Brother Copeland, isn't that a little arrogant? You don't know the difference between arrogance and faith. And the reason you don't is because you had not seen much faith. All you've seen is religion, and that is genetically altered Bible. And you can't feed on religion. 
It'll choke and make a, a, a skinny, helpless little spirit out of your spirit, just like genetically altered food will make a big belly around your waist because it's full of trash and it won't feed you and you can't put pressure on it and it hold. But when you get in the word of faith, you get in the word of the blood, you get in the word of deliverance, you get in the words of Jesus, you get strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And you get to where somebody just poke you and that 91st Psalm comes running out of you. And you just stand up there with a smile on your face and say, you boy and do whatever you're going to do. Let's get this over with. I'm, I'm going to go home and eat supper. That's right. Amen. Amen. The joy of the Lord becomes your strength. But Brother Copeland, they told me I was going to die. They know I got cancer, Brother Copeland. They told me I was going to die. Well, so am I. So, you're going to die. So's he. So's he. So's she. What's you crabbing about? You're going to let some little mutant cell, mutant cell in your body tell you how you can live and how you cannot. How dare you, darling? Laying around there crying, bawling, feeling sorry for yourself. And there's a Bible laying right there by your desk. With the lightning of God on every page. And the devil just hoping you don't never, ever reach for it. Because as long as he's able to frighten you, as long as you're scared of death, you are subject to bondage. Yes, sir. Jesus said, stop the fear. Fear not. Believe only and she shall be made whole. You put your faith on the line and then you stop the fear and you believe only you shall be made whole. You shall walk out of that financial trap. You shall walk out of that hospital room. You shall walk out of that family situation. You shall walk out free, praise God, and no demon in hell can stop you. I was dreaming. I saw a huge map of Africa. And then the next thing was, Africa became washed in the precious blood of Jesus. From south to north and from west to east. And I heard a voice cry. That voice was something extraordinary. I, I'm, I'm sure it was the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he cried, Africa shall be saved was like a thunder. I woke up. I said, oh, that is wonderful. The Holy Spirit was in the bedroom. I felt the anointing of the Spirit of God. And then my German brain began to tick again. And I thought, my ministry has no impact in this tiny little country of Lesotho. And now I hear God say, Africa shall be saved. There's something wrong. I must have eaten bad bananas last night. But I had that dream four consecutive nights. And after night number four, I said to my wife, Honey, 
I think God is trying to tell me something. The mission board of the Felberter Mission to which I belonged came to investigate the whole situation and I thought they were pleased that I was doing so well. But then he took me aside and he said, you cannot go on doing this. The printing press, all my evangelistic developments, they wanted to stop. I was just to be a missionary like their other missionaries. They didn't want anyone to fry an extra sausage. You had to stick to the rules, be like everybody else. And now I was pregnant, kind of pregnant, with that vision uh, of, of, of bringing the gospel of salvation to the whole continent of Africa. So I was now s somehow in a dead-end road. I didn't want to offend my German superiors, but I didn't want to offend God. And then I decided to go uh, and uh, hire a room in a hotel uh, right there at the border of, of Lesotho. And I thought, I'm going to pray here until God has spoken to me. I, I fell on my knees at the bedside there and I said, Lord, for the sake of peace, please allow me to agree with my German brothers. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And then the Lord spoke. Words that make me shake like a leaf in the wind. He said to me, if you drop the vision I gave you of a blood-washed Africa, I have to drop you and give it to someone else to bring it about. I shook. Physically, I shook like a leaf. I jumped up. I hadn't been longer than one hour in that hotel room. It was a very short fast. I, I paid my bill. I jumped into the car. and I drove home and I said, Annie, 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 God has spoken. Where's my typewriter? I'm going to write a letter to Velvet and I'm going to resign. Oh, and he said, can't you please sleep one night over it? I said, no, no, I can't. I can't sleep any night because God said he's going to drop me if I drop that vision. So I wrote my resignation and then peace, deep peace came into my heart and I've never looked back. Those very men who tried to prevent it later on congratulated me for not having obeyed them. So that is the blessed outcome. God will not allow anyone to thwart him and his plans. No, he uh, puts people out of the way and puts people in the way. But those who are willing to go that way, I felt God could overnight raise anyone, anyone, anyone else to do that job. But I was so keen to go with him and see nations uh, shaken for Jesus. Before we had the big tent which sat 34,000 people, 
we had one that was sitting about 10,000 people. It was the so-called uh, 10,000 seater. And uh, we moved around South Africa, Southern Africa at that time. And so I came to the Transkei and uh, while we were in the midst of our gospel crusade there, I heard that a very famous African evangelist was just uh, about 50 kilometers away. Uh, I knew his name and I was thrilled that he was so close. So the next day I drove all the way to that other tent and it was not the man there I had expected, not that great African evangelist, but one of his uh, deputies. But we talked and he said the big man of God in 1972 decided to drop his crusade ministry on a large scale. I listened and listened and listened and suddenly I remembered it was in 1972 that God gave me the vision of a blood-washed Africa that shook me to the core. In those days, I had not even known that great man, but the Lord, unbeknown to me, already put in a replacement. He has replacements, and they are all top choices. They are all top choices. They may be number two or number three, but when God gets hold of a man or a woman, he enables them to fulfill that task. And I humbly submit that that was the case in my own life. The moral of the story is, if I were you, I would not procrastinate and I would not just postpone it. I would jump and I would do what God's has told me to do. It's in any case the highest calling possible on earth. It's the highest form of human living on earth. That's what it is. And to have the honor to be called by God is more than being the president of the mightiest nation on earth. I asked myself why Jesus said, only believe he said only 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 because everybody can believe if you are hungry only eat if you are thirsty only drink if you are tired only sleep and if you want a miracle from God, Jesus says, only, only, only believe.